Oh, and thank you once again for joining me on the runtime. I'm your host, Raphael Kennedy, and this is the podcast where we go deep into software design. Before we get started, I wanted to introduce my guest, Rosano, um, an entrepreneur, writer, and musician. Um, I've asked him to join me to talk about the technology and philosophy of designing and building what he calls zero data apps. Welcome, Rosano, and thank you so much for taking the time. Um, so I was hoping you, we could start by with you giving us an overview. Um, what is a zero data app? If I had to say it really simply, I would just say the app keeps no data. Therefore, there's zero data. And this implies that the data is stored somewhere else because apps do actually have data. And so what you do is you bring your own storage or your pod or whatever, um, and we keep everything in a place that you, the person using the app, can control. So you have autonomy over that information. You can do what you want with it at any time. Uh, the data remains with you regardless of what happens to the app. So if the app stops working, you, you can always have it. And so I can just contrast this with like sort of the traditional way versus the zero data way. So traditionally, you go through an app and then you get the data, it's sort of sitting behind the app. You can't really touch it. You have to keep using the app to get it. And that's how most things are organized. Whereas in the zero data way, your data is already sort of in a space where you control it separate from the app. So if you remove the app from the equation, it's just you and your data, which is always gonna be there. And you could also swap the app out for a different app and operate it on the same data. You can, there's all these nice properties around that, which we can get into, but yeah, essentially it's a way of separating data from the app. And this is another thing in a, a world of software that is both cutting edge and returning to the 1990s. There are ways in which that's sort of a paradigm that people would be used to back in the world where software was something that you bought and it operated on files on your hard drive. Mm. Yeah, when you said uh, throwback, I was sort of thinking like, oh yeah, like remote storage has been around for 10 years, but actually now, like like right now in the last couple of weeks, I'm seeing this talk about files, like let's use files and files and files. So really it's like now it's going even farther back. Yeah, let's let's talk a bit about the, the specific technologies. We've talked with uh, Boris Mann from Fission and I think the sort of the open source part of that stack is called the Web Native SDK. We've mentioned technologies like the Hypercore technology and sort of related technologies that you might use um, to sort of guarantee a certain amount of serverless interaction. What are what are some some technologies that people would reach for and some attributes that they're getting from those those technologies in building zero data apps? Uh, well, I, I would say they're more protocols than technologies. Like, I guess web native is a, it's a technology. Um, but I, I just call it protocol in the sense that it's a way of organizing things. And that's why we use this <laughs> label zero data, because we're sort of, we're talking about the the organization of things and not necessarily specific technologies. So, um, sure. so, so I would just talk about the protocols, which would be the three main ones are remote so storage, um, Fission's web native and solid. And um, so remote storage. And so the, the protocol used in web native is IPFS or interplanetary file system, right? Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess that's another kind of other protocol. Yeah, I mean, when I say protocol, when I say zero data protocol, I'm talking about the way or, yeah, just, just the like, which way are you using to separate the data from the app? But yes, Fission is also using another kind of protocol, which is IPFS. And so, <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's protocols all around. So um, uh, remote storage, for example, is based on these very simple technologies and standards like uh, RESTAPIs over HTTP. It stores data in JSON. 
It uses a web finger to do like authentication and uh, the OAuth, which I think is maybe also called the protocol. Like, so for, for like uh, authentication <laughs> and authorization and stuff. Um, so it's sort of based on these very common standards that have been around for a long time. Uh, and then Fission is taking this more modern approach with like no passwords, as you saying, uh, as you said, store everything on IPFS. So it's distributed, uh, like encrypt everything from end to end, and sort of device. I would say device oriented as opposed to server oriented. So like everything starts on your device, and that's where everything is, and you just sort of connect a device, and it goes through the internet, but it sort of lives on the devices. There's no server as the source of truth. I guess some people would say which remote storage is, I think. So it has this idea of a server and that's where stuff is. Uh, and then the third protocol mm -hmm. would be solid, uh, which is uh, I'm a little bit less familiar with because I haven't had a chance to use it and there's a lot of newer concepts, but I think about it as similar to remote storage, but instead of JSON, it uses RDF to describe the data. And uh, it has this alternative kind of authentication scheme, which uh, I don't understand and seems to be a bit <laughs> more server oriented. So it's not, so common this like local first approach uh, in solid apps but i'm sure uh, with time that'll probably be there uh so those are sort of the three main routes i guess at this point these three protocols and each of those are using different technologies so they, they would have sort of different implications i call them all zero data because they're fundamentally separating your data from the app and they're basically storing it on a file system so despite being an old thing made new in some ways, this is a really different way of approaching web development than making a standard SaaS web app. Can you talk about some of the trade-offs when if you're working on a new application and you were saying, I want this to be a zero data application versus a, sort of a traditional web app. What are some of the things you're getting and what are the, some of the things that you have to leave behind? Yeah, um, I think these are all sort of based on the current situation like i don't want to say that these are absolute characteristics of zero data apps but like at the moment given given the current technologies here in 2021 yeah at, at the moment it seems like many so-called zero data apps are these browser apps or edge you know they're sort of operating at the edge but they're browser apps and they're sort of designed for use by an individual so like you can do like mm -hmm. note taking or you share photos or you're listening to music or bookmarking it's kind of like one person and their data and their tool and they're just it's like individualistic so um and, and that's a huge implication for how you design an app right so it's not like a social network it's not an aggregator um Whereas like SaaS apps, they do tend to be server oriented. So it's not all happening in the browser, something happening in the server. So that has some affordances for like aggregation of user generated content, maybe like real time collaboration. Um, like we, we say this like a Figma for X now, right? So <laughs> it's kind of, it's still, I don't know how you do that in a pure like browser app yet. It seems like you still need some kind of server. So that's something where like maybe SaaS does it a little bit better at the moment. Um, or let's say like running tasks in the background, right? So once your mm -hmm. browser's closed or your computer's closed, your browser app isn't really functioning anymore. Whereas a SaaS or a server-oriented app can still do things in the background. So those are kind of trade-offs at the moment. Uh, hopefully at some point those will be resolved and we don't have to think about those. But um, that's really kind of the main things uh, that I can see at the moment. So, you know, aggregation, real-time collaboration and background are better served by server-oriented solutions, whereas zero data apps, you can make these tools that one person can use and uh, you, know, you can have a whole variety of use cases for that. Mm -hmm. I, I could also say that like, um, yeah, I guess it is kind of a trade-off. Like um, 
People have been educated in this idea of sign up for an account with company, pay monthly fee, get product. Like they know how to do that. It's a common thing. Whereas if it's like a browser app at the edge and there's no account and you bring your own account and storage, like how do you pay? Where? Why are you paying if everything's already there? Like there's all these things that are not so clear. So people need to learn how to go through those steps in a new, in a new way. So that's like another kind of trade-off when you're building something like this. You also, I think at this moment, you have to take the part of the burden of like helping people understand how this new world works. Um, we don't have to follow this rabbit hole necessarily, but I think there's an implicit part of the SaaS model is that in some ways it's kind of renting your data back to you, right? I pay a monthly fee, which supports the ongoing development and improvements to the, to the tool, but you know, part of the reason that I, as an individual who am more or less fine with the way that Trello currently works, would keep paying is so that, because if I stop, then I have I don't get to use that data anymore. I can imagine lots of other ways that you could sort of structure that like as a business, but I'm curious to know, are you aware of ways that that's being done or people that are sort of solving that challenge of letting a user who owns their own data pay for the development of a tool that they're using? I, I don't have great examples, to be honest. Like, uh, I, I think I'm like, we're trying to figure this out, right? Like how, yeah. yeah. I mean, I work on this personally, like, okay, all of my apps, they're free. You can use them in your browser. You can connect your account. And, and I have this idea of like a document limit, you know, so you can, for example, with Hyperdraft, you can create 100 notes. And if you want to use it more than that, you can contribute something. It can be up to you or you can pay a yearly fee or you can pay a monthly fee and you get certain perks based on what you pay, et cetera. So I'm sort of exploring that. Um, mm -hmm. which is new, you know, I sort of started that this year. I don't know of anybody else that's kind of integrated it directly into the app like that. Um, but there are, I, I think there's different people trying stuff, right? But yeah, I feel like people are still figuring that out with zero data specifically. Um, mm -hmm. It's like, um, which maybe we can get into this later, but this idea of like, if the user has the data, then they don't have to go through your app and it's already happening in the browser anyway. And so it can work without an internet connection. So these technical things sort of imply that you have to organize things differently. And that means new patterns. So we, we, we don't really have those patterns yet, I guess. So we're still mm -hmm. working on that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious to see, um, there are, lots of brilliant people that are working working in this space and i think yeah i mean i think that's we need more people just getting in getting into the space and just trying this stuff out and um seeing what it's like to create apps in this way exploring these trade-offs trying to figure out like okay well can i actually make money doing this like do i need to make money directly from the app or can i just like the youtubers do it just by having patreon and the youtube videos are free right so um, mm -hmm. or should we use sponsors or whatever? Like there, there's so many things to try really. And so it's a matter of just giving it the time for that process to unfold and figure out what works for different kinds of developers. Yeah. I mean, I think it mirrors a discussion that's still happening just in the realm of maintaining open source tools. So back to the, like, the specific technologies that you would use in building a zero data app. Can you talk about, you know, if you're starting a new application and you didn't know any of the technologies, what would be some of the the high-level trade-offs between, say, remote storage and web-native or solid? I mean, the idea of zero data app is that you shouldn't have to think about the, the conceptual differences between these protocols. Like, they do things mm -hmm. differently, but fundamentally, like, you're using them as, like, a way to store, uh, read and write 
data, right? Uh, the way that that data is read and written is a little bit different, but you shouldn't really have to think about it, like from a zero data standpoint, like unless you want to do like a fission specific thing or remote storage specific thing, you know, like for example, encryption, like, yeah, everything on Fission's web native is encrypted by default, whereas mm -hmm. on remote storage, it's not. So if you want to have encryption as part of your app, you can either like build it yourself or like just use Fission or wait until it's part of the protocol, you know, so there's those kind of distinctions. But I don't think like, uh, I mean, I've already sort of talked about like what the differences are between the protocols, but as a developer, mm -hmm. like ideally you wouldn't notice that i mean and this is something i'm trying to work towards because my app integrate integrates with remote storage and fission and i'm hoping to eventually also integrate with solid so at that point like i don't really want to make a distinction like oh your experience mm -hmm. is different in this way because you're using this protocol because for me it's it's supposedly the same thing that's why i have this name right zero data i'm just calling it all the same thing and so you're you're able to like abstract away the the mechanics of how you're sending and fetching the data from the user context pretty much i mean um uh, i have this wrapper that wraps the remote storage javascript library mm -hmm. and the fission javascript library but then both of those libraries they're really also just writing to like local storage or index db so fundamentally it's not Again, you're just reading and writing to local storage, and each library has its own way of syncing at certain times and figuring mm -hmm. out how to do that. But that's not your that's not the developer's problem, or it shouldn't be, right? So, um, so yeah, in that sense, there there shouldn't really be that much of a difference, um, unless you're doing protocol specific features. Okay, so you said my app. <laughs> Let's get into the weeds on a specific application. Oh yeah, sure. Um, I guess I, I can talk about Hyperdraft because that's sort of the first one uh, that's okay. started with. Um, and I was doing this before, be like I, I was never trying to make zero data apps, right? I was just making this like note taking app. And so uh, I think I had it working with like MongoDB once, and then I I was thinking like, oh okay, I have to create like an account system or whatever. And then just uh, by chance, I had met somebody who told me about remote storage, and then I tried it out, and it seemed to work for my use case. So I kind of went with mm -hmm. it. Draft is, um, I mean, the nerdy way of explaining it is it's sort of a remake of this cult app on the Mac, which is called Notational Velocity. It's like super keyboard oriented, very fast, like you type and search and it's, you can link between notes, that kind of thing. So um, I've, been, I've been using that for like 10 or maybe 15 years, I don't know, for, to organize my entire life. And I just wanted one that was, it wasn't really maintained actually. So um, yeah, the original author, Kind of stopped maintaining it and then there was a fork of it that got more maintained but it's just kind of long in the tooth so i wanted to make one that was just a bit fresher and also one that worked on mobile mm -hmm. so that was really the goal um but uh, without relating it to that you could just consider hyperdraft as uh, a plain text note-taking app where um you can link between your notes and you can also push a button and then make it a web page so the phrase that I see on the website is turn your text notes into a website. Uh, and I have this like digital garden personal wiki, which is sort of an example of how, uh, how you might use this, you know, to create pages that link to each other and sort of build up this uh, public resource over time that's done side by side with your private notes. So you can think about it as a note-taking tool that you can also use to make a website. And um, yeah, and that's what I use now to, to organize myself. And um, I have uh, all of my project to-dos in there and like interesting links. And I don't use a calendar. I use a, I use text files. As... And you made it to this recording on time. I made it to this recording on time. So that's how you know that Hyperdraft works <laughs> for calendars. 
Yeah, I'm just really interested also in encouraging people to write and publish, like document and publish. Like I think there's something really profound about that. And I'm guessing people, there's, there's a variety of reasons why people don't do that. But I think part of it is also that tools are complicated. Like you have to use something like Medium and then there's an account and it's very slow and it's heavy. And now you have this like, pretentious kind of writing interface and you have to feel like you're being profound or whatever or or there's like platforms you know like facebook which are not really designed for like writing long form and so anyway i just thought i had an, an, an idea to throw into the mix of uh, possibilities uh and, and like a simple publishing system mm-hmm. that's not like as complex as wordpress or medium and uh that's uh, integrated into your personal notes so very cool so you started before you knew about the remote storage API, so you were, um, you know, sort of building this in a traditional way. When you decided to make it into a zero data app, did you hit any major pitfalls when you were just getting started? Not really. I mean, it just got simpler. It's like, oh, I don't have to think about accounts or servers. I just have to store data. Like, I just have to read and write data to using this remote storage library. So it's just like. It just simplified everything, really. So, um, uh, I mean, like there are trade-offs, but like um, as a, as a developer, it was just kind of easy. It's like, oh, okay, I just thought, there's a whole category of things. Like, I don't have to build and secure and maintain. If the, the like sort of the developer experience development workflow hasn't hasn't been a, a concern, have there been have there been other things that you you thought would be easier than they were? collaboration maybe is a thing or i guess sharing data collaboration because again everything's happening in the in your browser and it's again this seems to be this pattern like everything's designed for an individual to use it's not supposed to be shared with Mm -hmm. anybody so um uh so like okay i i made um well, okay, with Hyperdrive, for example, it's kind of, it's easy because like I, I wrote a note and I want to share it. So I click a button and there's a public link and it's, it makes a lot of sense to do things that way. But okay, you can't like collaborate with somebody that way. Like they can't edit your document that way because that's just a static file mm-hmm. on some server. So in order for them to collaborate with you, you'd basically have to use some other tool, you know, or, or actually, um, well, with remote storage, you can give them access to your account through the private access link, but that's not really... The ideal way to do it. Yeah, I mean, I would say that's kind of the most challenging thing. You also can't, I mean, there's no real notion of aggregation. Like, again, it's this this idea that it's, at the moment, it seems to be overly optimized for, like, individuals. So mm-hmm. you can't just, like, collectivize what we're all doing together in some, some way. Like, you just need to create some other project, which is some other service, probably it's like a standard web server thing, and then scrape the data. Like, that's how I imagine it being done, but um, until mm-hmm. somebody else comes up with a better solution. But it's like that's really like a missing thing for me, this idea of aggregating or like collaborating, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an interesting part of a lot of these, you know, sort of cutting edge technologies is you get kind of complexity landmines where you go, all right, I need to be able to publish this onto a website. Easy. I need to be able to link between them. Easy. Oh, and I want to be able to, somebody can leave a thumbs up. And suddenly that <laughs> yeah, exactly. really just because... any kind of interactions like pff, well, <laughs> impossible. Yeah. So this is actually something I'm doing with. Uh, I'm I'm sort of there's this other project which I have called Garden, and it's 
I feel like I'm I created that project just to graft on the sort of server functionality onto like the static <laughs> page because there's like I don't know how long it's going to take until the protocol it's any of these protocols have a sort of server background logic thing going on like so so I'm like okay I need to create like a server that can sort of read a static file and then pretend to be dynamic and then somehow like engage with it like I, I don't know there's all this but it's like I'm I'm like duct taping on this functionality onto some kind of static thing so that's that's a bit strange I'll say that's a thing I've been hearing a lot from peer-to-peer get, you know, people doing peer-to-peer oh, yeah. tech is that both Faraz and Paul Frazee mentioned this, that like a thing they realized was that it was important to sort of have a server somewhere in the mix as kind of like in a wormhole. It's like as a, a cedar of last resort for this peer-to-peer data Right. that there's a, you know, <laughs> a logical desire to try and you know say all right every every device is the same on this node and actually there are if you're trying to get actual things done it's it's nice having one or two that are an actual server inside of your your data mesh yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i i still think they're useful I, I mean as much as we wanted to just be purely browser oriented like there are limits to that so <laughs> yeah it's nice to have something that's always on and that you know has a petabyte of storage if it needs it or yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So were there any things about developing zero data apps that were like especially surprising to you when you first started down that road? Uh, as much as I said that it's not possible to do collaboration, I did have a really great mm-hmm. experience like teaching my friends languages using my flashcards app. And it's because of this copy private link thing that you can do with remote storage. So what I would do is I would create... Um, yeah, we would make, make flashcards in order to facilitate like learning English or French or something. And I would write one side where I am and then the data would sync and it would show up on their side and then they would fill in the other card. And they had no idea that this is like remote storage or uh, I never explained any of this to them. I just said, it's my app, you know, and like I sort of set up an account for them in the background, like, but it was just really cool. And um, uh, for, for me, and I think also for them to be able to have this kind of collaborative interaction without using some kind of, large tech company (laughs) stack or something like that and it just it it worked you know it's like really small and so that that was kind of unexpected I guess like because I I, I sort of came to this in this individualistic mindset like a tools for individuals kind Mm -hmm. of mindset and so to actually like collaborate with someone uh not exactly in the best way you know sharing your private link your password essentially but um because it's friends it's it's uh and it's just flashcards it's fine but it was just really pleasant to do that. And um, and it, it got them kind of curious about like, well, how, how are we doing this without like Gmail? And then how, like, so that, that was nice, you know, um, that that's at least possible. Uh, Does that seem to you like that might be the seed of a way that we solve, solve these kinds of, these kinds of issues going forward? I mean, I don't know if that's the best pattern to be honest, because again, you're kind of you're essentially giving somebody your your password. I, I don't mean like I, I don't mean like the specifically sharing sharing private keys. <laughs> I'm not advocating for, but I'm, I mean sort of more of that. <laughs> we are not advocating sharing private keys on this podcast. Okay. Yeah, but the um, it's sort of looking at the the user, like what is the user context more broadly, 
like you could imagine having the concept of the user that owns the data being a, a network of members of a team or something like that. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think it would be somebody smarter than me that would try to, to, to sort of <laughs> uh, codify this. I mean, in my mind, I, I really feel like everybody would have a server somehow, you know, like hopefully it would be mm -hmm. just this easy thing that nobody even knows it's a server, but it's like a button that somebody pushes and now you can do this stuff, right? Like um, ideally it would be like that simple. And, and so people don't have to think about, they don't have to rely on each app or each company to provide that kind of thing for them. Like, I think this is sort of where your bit is doing something interesting because everybody's computer is a server. And I don't know if it, that means it's online or not. Like, I'm not totally familiar with that. But this idea that, like, we're just starting with the server. Like, everybody's on their server, and that's where their computer is. And if that can be online all the time, then maybe that's sort of an interesting way to facilitate that's uh, to, to get around this kind of mm -hmm. this, this problem but again there's probably people way smarter than me that uh I, I just make apps man well uh so what what do you think is next for um i would say what's next for hyperdraft and what's the next thing that you're that you want to build in this space <laughs> i got more apps coming as always so there's that I also would like to redo my iOS apps. Like I started doing like iOS apps 10 years ago and I haven't really uh, updated any of them in a few years for various reasons, but I would like to maybe port all of them to this kind of platform because I find it uh, better. I just, I like the platform. It's just really cool. And um, so there's that. Uh, I would like to do some work with schemas and interoperability using the Cambria library so uh i don't know if you've heard of this so. excellent <laughs> right um yes. so this is uh, this is something for me that's that solves a lot of problems and i, I think uh I, I don't know if it's being used in production but i would really like to use it in, in my apps and get start get the ball rolling on that because it's like something very it's important to like interoperability between different apps and between versions of the same app uh, so anyway there's something I, I would like to invest in more there and also like i would like to integrate with solid like i still haven't gotten that so, and I heard recently that you don't actually have to use RDF to integrate with Solid. You can just use any kind of file, maybe JSON. So, so that would make a nice trifecta for me because then I, I would have apps that actually work with all of these protocols. So, so yeah, hopefully looking forward to that. Um, so uh, uh, one last thing that I, I tend to ask um, all of my guests is what are some other projects out on the internet that you're particularly interested in or fascinated by? So many projects. Uh, um, <laughs> like I, I already mentioned Cambria, you know, which is uh, yeah. a fundamental thing. Um, I think Gordon Brander's newsletter is pretty great. Like uh, it's called Subconscious and he talks a lot about like data and interoperability and like thinking and uh, or uh, tools for thought. And um, so uh, I find all of that quite interesting and he, I think he writes really, really well. Um, there's a, Person named Linus Lee, who I sort of found on Twitter, and he's got like tons of cool side projects. He has this like search engine for like everything he's ever wrote, and uh, he's got like um, some interesting apps that could be good, like zero data apps. At some point, I hope he would consider like uh, integrating. But he's got like you know um, something that keep track of like conversations you've had with people and take notes and so that you know when to reach out to people again like anyway so the interesting person with interesting projects um i could also say like the there's this co-op called camaraderie which is doing uh open source more ethical alternative to patreon 
And so this is really important in terms of like when we think about funding, like how to fund things and how to avoid certain problems that comes with platforms when we when we fund using platforms. So I just like how they're thinking about governance and politics, um, especially in relation to funding. So that's also an interesting project. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so I will follow up on those and uh, links links to those things will be in the show notes. Um, I think that probably brings us about to the end of the episode. Is there anything of yours that you would like to promote? Um, yeah, well, I mean, Hyperdraft, like, I, I just really want people to, like, write and publish. So whether you use Hyperdraft or some other app, like, uh, please document your process. Your use thoughts. Hyperdraft. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure. You're, yeah, you're but, not doing a great promotion. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's really the writing that's important. I mean, yeah, Hyperdraft, I think, yeah. is an easy way to just push a button and put it online, but like, in a way that you control. But like, yeah, there's, uh, I, I would just like to facilitate this cultural practice, maybe just like documenting stuff and sharing it and getting feedback and all, basically all the stuff we do on Git, you know, like we're always just putting stuff on GitHub and people are sending pull requests. Like I would love if writing was that from like a fermented kind of environment you know like people doing stuff and it's bubbling and everything's anyway um uh, I, I would also just like to plug uh, joybox which is an app of mine for like bookmarking audiovisual media just because i think it's cool like mm -hmm. it's just uh you basically use it to like watch um let's say youtube videos but audiovisual media from different platforms in like uh, one place and it's just kind of like distraction free and th this is cool we have like sharing a playlist with the, which is just in the URL hash and I just I just really dig it so uh, I hope that people can just try that out and uh, see what they think about that pattern and um, um, yeah I, I really dig this idea of what I call doorless apps which is not necessarily related to zero data but it happens to work it happens to be a good um, pairing and it's this idea that you show up on a page and you can just start using the app, you know, in the same way that you show up on a YouTube video and you can just click play and you can start. You don't have to like do something. You don't have to sign up. You don't have to like fill out a form or something. You just, you go and it's there, right? So um, all of my apps work that way. Like you can just open up a private window and open it and it's there and you just start. Like you can just, you don't have to do any extra steps. So I, I really, really dig that. I can't, I can't describe how much I dig that. It's like, um, and I, I relate this to an idea about apps as public spaces, like a park. Like you go there and you don't have to ask permission and you're welcome <laughs> to be there and nobody's going to kick you out and you can just have a picnic and it's fine. Just hang out. Like it's something that's facilitated, I think, by zero data because there's no account process, right? And you don't have to identify yourself. So um, that's something I really dig about uh, zero data. And yeah, yeah, I might also just something else I forgot to mention is the funding button is kind of a counter intuitive counterproductive thing where I deliberately created this experience that's completely anonymous. So I don't know who you are and you just connect your storage and it's like encrypted and it, there's a hash of the information put on the transaction, etc. And it's completely anonymous, right? I don't know anything. And then the person pays and they go through the process and they unlock the app and now i have no way to contact them because they're completely anonymous so it's like uh i technically do because i i have their information on paypal but i didn't get it from them directly so i feel weird about reaching out to them so it's like a, it feels like an anti-pattern like i feel like i have to do something there to have a more uh, just a warmer connection with the person that's 
supporting the app because it's not it's not a transactional thing it's not like they're buying a product necessarily it's more in the mm -hmm. vibe of like patreon you're supporting the project long-term development kind of thing so that's a really that... that's a really interesting thought about how you know to sort of have like a you know we want these social spaces to have like a person-to-person -person kind of feel to them but also you don't want to be like abusing data that's leaked through a third party payment platform. <laughs> to, yeah, I think we're also I should I shouldn't speak for everybody, but I mean there is this kind of perhaps hypersensitivity to like abusing people's data because companies are doing it so badly that like we don't want to be associated with that. So we're just like let's not collect any data at all. Let's not do any statistics. Let's not like nothing's happening nowhere. Like it's a bit uh perhaps extreme. And maybe there are some healthy ways to use data and maybe there is a good way to get consent from people and maybe they're okay with it. And maybe, so let's, let's figure out where that boundary is and let's make a good experience, right? I think this completely anonymous experience, I find it a bit cold and it's sort of, it's fragmented. It's like you, you can't connect. The people don't know how to reach out to you because there's nobody there. Or there's no, you know, there's no business relationship, so to speak, because you don't have an account. And so, this this need this could be better i think for for both the developer and the person using the app and um yeah and also like connections between apps like how anyway there, there's so much stuff to think about these are all things that i think people are working on like as, as we mentioned like the patterns are being developed now and maybe over the course of the next few years like we'll we'll understand like okay this is kind of a good pattern for how to do that and funding we can maybe try it this way and you know yeah. all right great um, and how can people find you on the internet? My website is rosano.ca for Canada, CA. And I'm on Twitter at Rosano. And I also have a newsletter, which I try to publish every week. It's just uh, for if you want to see what I'm thinking about. Or I also have like, a music playlist that I share each week, um, which is, uh, you can find it on my website. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. Um, and thanks for your time. Links to the projects mentioned will be in the show notes. Have a wonderful day. You too. Take care. Well, that wraps it up for this week on The Runtime. I remain your host, Raphael Kennedy. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe and, if possible, leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps to spread the word. If you have thoughts, feedback, or ideas of folks that I should interview for the show, please reach out either via email at raphael at runtimepodcast.com or on Twitter at podcastruntime. Thanks again for listening.